Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to the Purple Row Pebble Report Podcast. The usual suspects are back in action. I am Justin Wick alongside Kenneth Weber. And Kenneth, I know technically this is our last episode of the 2021 season, but just so we can like keep hanging out a little more often, we're allowed to just make like an unannounced episode in the off season whenever we like. Is that how this works? I mean, nobody told us that we couldn't do that. So yeah. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. We can just drop in whenever we uh, feel the need and throw another recording together. You know, I feel guilty because maybe there's not going to be quite the minor league headlines. But, you know, if the people if that's what the people want, if they just want like a day to day update on our lives and how we're managing, we can. I mean, our episodes are probably only going to be like two minutes long talking about we really miss baseball right now. (laughs) But anyways, we've got a lot to talk about. It's going to be more of an audio diary than anything. There you go. It's just going to be a little day-by-day process of we are this much closer until we actually get to put another hour episode together. Fortunately, we do at least have what we anticipate another hour episode on this, let's call it the final quote-unquote official Purple Row Pebble Report podcast for the 2021 season. We left off on our last episode talking about the championship series for the Fresno Grizzlies and the Spokane Indians. That did not quite go as we'd hope as both of them lost in the championship series. But once again, both of them got there and another huge congratulations is in order for an otherwise fantastic season and a huge bright spot on the state of the Rocky system. So definitely wanted to touch on that here at the beginning of our episode. And on this episode, we are here to hand out some serious awards of our own, not just our standard purple pebbles like we're accustomed to when we've named our all month teams. We're going to have to mix in 
like a boulder or something for these awards. That's a nice boulder. But for now, anyways, our minor league slate is all finished up, and it is time to name the MVP and the Cy Young Award winners for the Colorado Rockies minor league system. We've got three players to feature. I guess we technically have a fourth because we are going to name a gold glove winner as well. We're here to show some love for these names that are quickly establishing themselves as the next faces of the Colorado Rockies. And we're going to start on the offensive side of the ball. We've got co-MVPs, ladies and gentlemen, mainly mainly because Kenneth and I have a soul and we can't just praise one of these players without praising the other. So we'll go ahead and just say them so you don't need to hold your breath. Our co-MVPs, Zach Veen and El Huris Montero. There it is. Congratulations, boys and girls. (laughs) Just so nobody's holding their breath. Nobody's just stuck on the fence wondering who our key selections are. Anyways, we'll break down... Zach Veen, the low-A outfielder out there in Fresno, put together 106 games in his first professional season. He put together an OPS of an even 900. And again, a primary reason why we wanted to make sure that we were highlighting both him and Montero is because El Juris Montero did a very similar campaign in 2021. Put together 120 games worth of work. Put together an 889 OPS. And again, that was a double-A and triple-A as opposed to low-A for Zach Veen. So... The development on these two guys, maybe they're in a little bit different of a position because Veen just entered minor league ball, whereas Montero has been in it a little bit. But at the same time, you know, these are definitely guys that are cementing themselves as this could be the future faces of the Colorado Rockies. Very fun to follow along right there. So anyways, Kenneth, I'm going to ask the heavy hitter for you. We did name co-MVPs. Do you put anybody in front of anybody or is it even fair to try to say Veen or Montero had the better year? I think that you kind of have to look at them both as the same amazing, you know, and that, that that's why we went with the co-MVP setup because it's really hard to, to pick one over the other Montero absolutely smashed at a um, much higher level of competition, making it all the way up to triple a. So he seems to be the closest to big league ready. But then when you look at Zach Veen, I mean, Zach Veen was named the player of the year for the low A West, or excuse me, for the low A West as well. So um, it's not to say that Veen wasn't taking home some actual hardware, not just a giant purple boulder uh, from <laughs> us. If I were to pick one over the other, man, Montero's work with the bat was really impressive. And it was a little bit out of nowhere. Um, so if I were to give a slight edge, I would say Montero, but I'm happy with them both getting the nod because they were both excellent this season. Yeah, I don't think it really is on anybody's fault at that point, and especially to see that they had such a different years where they excelled as strongly as they did. Zach Veen being 19 years old, Montero being 22 years old, they are in different phases at this point, and I definitely think that, honestly, if I had to favor one, I feel like the only reason why I would say Veen is because I think that he's on a more projectable path to get to Montero earlier than where Montero is. I think that, you know, a year or two in advance, we could see Zach Veen suiting up in double A AA and triple A. So that's, I think that's kind of a cop-out way of saying it. I realize that's not really anybody's fault. I mean, we can't use that against Montero because he just did really good at the places that they put him. So that's kind of the way it works. But I thought it was very interesting to be able to check out that he actually had a higher slugging percentage in AAA than he did in AA, and I'm speaking of Montero for this. In AAA, he had a 546 slugging percentage, and then in AA, he had a 523. So I get, you know, we're talking about a little bit different of a run-scoring environment out there in Albuquerque, and that can certainly contribute for it. But again, you know, if we take OPS, the unofficial 
all-encompassing figure that we're looking for. He had a 902 OPS in Albuquerque as compared to an 885 OPS out there in Hartford. So just statistically alone, I understand, you know, the sample size in Albuquerque was a little limited because he only had 28 games. And that was a 28-game stretch at the end of the year where I can only imagine, you know, when people are clawing it out through the dog days of summer and all of a sudden Montero's the new face that's all fired up to be at the next step away from the big leagues. I'm sure that definitely fueled the fire a little bit, but at the same time, we're talking about the next step of pitching as well. And that's no joke to be able to make those kind of jumps right there. So again, that's the big take that we had as far as naming the co-MVPs. We recognize that, you know, I, I really wanted to pick one, like I wanted to pick one and feature it because, you know, I feel like that's a very cop-out way of doing it, but I did want to at least lead a discussion talking about who has separated one over the other. And at the same time, it's just very unfair if we try to just put one over the other at this point i think a big tip as well is to be able to point out that zach veen you know talking about the enthusiasm and how to progress yourself through a full season he spent the whole year at fresno there was no promotion that he was able to get a little bit extra momentum from he was tuckering it out the entire year and on the heels of a shortened high school season last year it's not like that was by any means something that was an easy task to take on 106 games this year (laughs) So I think the Rockies definitely got what they were looking for. If anything, the, there was no signs of a burnout at the end of this minor league season. So I think that's definitely something to point out in Zach Bean's favor. And I think there's definitely a lot of things that we can point out in the favor of both of these guys. Yeah, I mean, it was impressive all around. And uh, 36 steals for Zach Bean as well. So the speed showed um, pretty heavily. And the power started really started coming around. And then when we talk about Montero, I mean, he just slugged the heck out of the ball the entire season between two levels. And one of the most impressive things with Montero is he's only 22 years old. You know, he seems a little bit more um, advanced for his age being in Albuquerque at this point, making it to AAA almost five years younger than the median age as well. So it's easy to get into this mindset that, oh, Montero kind of should be where he's at right now. It's like, no, he's still kind of ahead of the curve. (laughs) But you have somebody like Zach Bean below him and Drew Romo and, you know, other guys that we'll touch on. But there's this younger wave in A-ball that everybody's paying attention to where Montero really sticks out at the higher levels because there's not as much around him like what he's been doing. So um, it's impressive on both of them. I get the guilt of feeling, too. So do you want to call it Zach Montero award there you go. or do we want to go with the L. Harris Veen? I mean, El Veen, that, that, that sounds like a detective. El Huris Veen. Yeah. <laughs> Zach Montero sounds a little more. No, yeah, no kidding. I mean, we'll both of them sound like MVP baseball creative players, <laughs> like auto-generated in the video game. So we're going to yeah, make it I mean, happen. Next year, somebody has to win the award, so we got to settle on which name combination we want to call it. That is true. Hey, and you never know. I mean, as long as we're going to need one of these guys to get called up to the big league so they get out of the way for the other when it comes to naming the minor league MVP. That's true. <laughs> you do make a very good point. You know, I'm talking about, you know, Zach Veen's younger than Montero. Maybe we should give him the benefit of the doubt. El here's Montero is 22. Like, this is no joke by any definition that we want to break this down. So hey, I think that's a very good point that you bring up. The average age of AAA players El Huris Montero is 4.7 years younger than the average age of a AAA player. So at the same time, AA, he's 1.9 years younger than AA, whereas Zach Veen in low A, he's two years younger than the average player. So both of them are on a relatively similar path if we assume that, you know, Montero spent most of his season in AA Hartford, that is. 
but it's just such a gratifying moment to recognize. You know, it's easy to just to evaluate age as trying to formulate where the projectability really is. But when you recognize with respect to the leagues that they're playing in, there really is a lot of headlines to make out of the successes that these guys have made. And it's not to say that any one of them is doing any better than the other. It's just, it's almost like they're doing equally the same incredible things at the same exact levels that they've put themselves in with the age differential at this point. So that's very fun to recognize, very cool to at least follow along. And we're excited to see where these young men are going to be able to progress forward. We'll probably get another taste. Well, probably our next taste of them is going to be in spring trading, which the difficult parts of the minor league backfields, at least in the early phases of spring training, is there's not really anything to really touch on. It's just kind of mainly basic workout type stuff. However, there's a good chance that, you know, assuming that the Rockies minor leagues are, excuse me, the Rockies spring training roster last year is going to bear similar resemblance to the types of selections that are going to be in the stadium games for spring training. I wouldn't rule out. There's a good chance that we're going to see Zach Veen and El Harris Montero get some reps in a couple Cactus League games, even if it be later in games or if it ends up ends up being, you know, maybe there's a split squad invitation. My point being, I can't imagine burying Zach Veen on the backfields through spring training. <laughs> so I'm hopeful yeah. to see that we'll get that rolling. Anyways, we're going to progress over to our minor league Cy Young winner. We have selected a right-hander that spent time at four different levels in the Rocky system. One of those levels was actually the big leagues. As a matter of fact, we got a little taste of them here at the end of the season and two starts. I want to say congratulations to Ryan Feltner, the Ohio state Buckeye breaking it in as the Cy Young winner for the 2021 Rockies minor league system, at least according to us. Anyways, <laughs> he started off the season. He was working his way through Spokane and Hartford. He made seven sparks, seven starts in Spokane. He made 13 starts in Hartford. He ended up making the double A to the big league jump here at the end of the year, right around Labor Day. He did not fare particularly well for the Colorado Rockies. So we're going to do that's a big reason why this is the minor league Cy Young winner. Here we go. So before we get the sour taste of our mouth of, you know, the big league debut didn't necessarily go the way we would have hoped. He did make another start in Albuquerque, and that was kind of a rough start where he got licked around a little bit as well. But at the same time, we're talking about over 100 innings in Hartford and in Spokane that this guy put together an ERA in the twos, striking out all kinds of guys, definitely making a case that he's going to be the future of what the Rockies can look for in the rotation and filling the shoes heavily for Ryan Rollison, who I believe Ryan Rollison would have been in the position to take those big league starts at the end of the year if it weren't for an appendicitis situation that really sidelined him. So we got our taste of Ryan Feltner before. And Kenneth, I do want to turn this over to you because we get a really warped perception based on the way he finished the year. But as far as, you know, collective body of work, do you think the momentum is going to be easy to carry forward after seeing what we saw out of him in the final month of the season? Or is this the kind of thing that, you know, we just look at the collective body of work and we recognize where he's at right now? I definitely, <clears throat> I look at his season as a whole way more than I, you know, invest stock into that last month, especially on the big league debut over six innings. You know, it's it, there were nerves that you saw when he took them out in the big leagues. Um, there was a whole different level of competition making the jump from double A to the big leagues. Um, and I think he got put against the Giants to, in his first start. So <laughs> that's fun. They only won like 106 games this year, too. Um Feltner's body of work this entire season as a whole is the biggest thing to take away. He, like you said, had that spot that Rollison was kind of being primed for as the next arm in line. Well, Rollison had a bit of a lost season and Feltner had the opportunity and he absolutely ran with it. During the first 
four months, five months of the season, every single time he took the ball, no matter what level he was at, it was hard to make the case that he wasn't the best pitcher in the organization pretty much from day one. He had a bump in velo this season. The stuff just got a little bit better, but that polish just really started to show along with a little bit better stuff that he was offering at hitters. And it resulted in a sub three ERA for the entire season over 112 innings in the minors. That's not easy to do. A lot of the West Coast has some pretty hitter friendly environments that he was you know, going in and out of. And he just dominated every step along the way. Do I expect him to be a sub three ace in the big leagues? No, you know, it, it doesn't translate that way. But do I expect him to be on course to be a reliable big league starter? He's done nothing to dissuade me from that heading into next season. So there's a lot of encouraging things that we saw from Feltner this year as a whole. Don't care that six innings didn't show it immediately. Next year, let's see if he can be more like the pitcher that we saw the entire season in a Rockies uniform. I think that's a very good way, and I think that's the honorable way of looking at it, especially when we recognize, I believe his two starts in the big leagues were against the Giants and the Braves. So we're mixing in two playoff teams that, oh, by the way, here you go, as they're clawing it out, it trying to make a pennant run at this point in time. So I also think, you know, I'm very excited to recognize that the point of this guy's development was – Let's get the upper deck. Let's get that experience under his belt. Let's get him familiar with it because you really can't replicate that in a spring training setting. And something that I was kind of excited to see the Rockies do near the end of the year was give a lot of opportunities to these kind of younger players. I mean, we saw this with Colton Welker making his, making his way up through the system as well. We're seeing this with a handful of just young guys that you can't, you can't necessarily replicate that kind of preparation when it comes to really making people comfortable, making people familiar with the big league ranks. So I think that there's kind of a double-edged sword with it because you don't want to intimidate people. Like you want it to be a full-blown, this is like a, you're ready to go. You don't want to rush anybody into this because that can create resounding effects to where you know, the last thing you want to do is have a sour taste in your mouth and have to live with it. But I thought that it was very cool that you know when the Rockies essentially – unofficially acknowledged that you're not going to be making the postseason this year in that final month of the year. We gave an opportunity to a guy like Ryan Feltner. I think it was more by default just because there was the injury to Austin Gomber and there wasn't exactly a spot in the rotation that anybody could fill other than if we tapped into the minor league res- minor league reserve at that point. But in the sense of just pure development and getting somebody familiar, I don't really think that was a bad thing. And I think that it's cool to recognize that you know, yes, you got the taste out of your mouth. He looked like he was handling himself. I mean, this might be kind of a cheesy comparison, but he looked like he was handling himself pretty well. He looked like he was presenting what he needed to do. And this was all at the end of a season where, you know, he pitched over 100 innings between Hartford and Spokane this year. And then all of a sudden he makes the makes the big league debut. And again, very similar to the way that El Juris Montero was able to ride that wave of he's up in AAA now and he's got that enthusiasm going on. Ryan Feltner's got the big league enthusiasm. He gets the sheer taste in his mouth. I can only imagine a little bit jitters as you're making it happen, especially that quick of a turnaround. You know, you're making the jump from double A. And I think the last person to do that for the Rockies was Antonio Sensatella. And that was even at the beginning of a year. That was after a spring training phase. It wasn't like an immediate, oh, by the way, you're making the jump to the league right now. 
So a lot of extenuating circumstances that I think really take away from what he's doing. But if you look at, you know, you mentioned the hitter friendly ballparks on the West coast, what he was able to put together in Spokane, being able to control a lot of home run damage. He only allowed one home run in 37 innings, 37.1 actually. So I think that's definitely something to recognize and definitely something that as we look to what's going to shape itself in a big league setting, that's the kind of guy that you're really hopeful for in Coors Field. Feltner did give up seven home runs in 72 innings in Hartford. So again, we're looking up, you know, that's less than one homer per 10 innings. That's not too bad as a starting pitcher right there. So I think there's a lot of optimism to make out of that. We saw a different tale, of course, in double A and in the big leagues in this very limited size. But assuming he's able to regress to those standard figures, I think this is definitely a guy that's going to have some success in a Rockies uniform. I think if you had started out this season and said, if Feltner can survive at double A and finish there, it'll be a successful campaign for him. Like that was a reasonable expectation from the outset. And he just completely blew past that. You know, being in Albuquerque was like the dream scenario. Okay, maybe he can advance enough to, to that point. And you could lump somebody like uh, Carl Kaufman into that conversation. Too. Sure. There was, there was a group of guys in there where you're like, okay, if they can just take the next step, that'll be encouraging. He just like completely leapfrogged over all of the expectations to the point where it wasn't an unreasonable. It was aggressive, yes, but it wasn't unreasonable to call him up to the big leagues. They were aggressive with his plate with his placement in the organization and deservedly so for the way that he performed the entire season. So there was a huge, huge stride that we saw from Ryan Feltner this year. A lot of good takeaways from from his 2021 campaign. I think that's a very good point to bring up. And especially, I think, in a sense, at that point, if we recognize that, you know, if he if all that he did was what he did in double A this year, that would have been an exceptional year. And then to find out that he even gave himself the opportunity to work beyond that. I think that alone is enough to disregard what happened above double A this year. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, even if we look at the collective body of work, if we lump together all four affiliates that he played with, I guess if we count the big league team as an affiliate, that's still a very strong body of work to where he's putting together some serious business, even with a couple tough starts to end the year. Yeah. So he is our go-to guy. Again, I was, if I had to put a prediction together on who we would have put this for this year, I don't think I would have picked Ryan Rollison because I would have kind of expected that he would have been in the big leagues earlier. Like, I don't know if we would have been able to tout him as a minor leaguer, but again, this is just something that it's very interesting to recognize, you know, who's going to spend the majority of the year in the minor league ranks, especially when you're an emerging starting pitcher, especially when the Rockies had as many injuries to their starting rotation at the big leagues that they did. I think this was somebody that filled plenty of shoes and somebody that can definitely fill a little bit bigger holes as far as what we're looking for as the future continues to push forward. I hate to, I hate to bring up that elephant in the room of what exactly is going to happen to John Gray, but nonetheless, very optimistic to feel like we have at least got somebody that has proven themselves. That's put together a solid body of work. And that could be somebody that can make us breathe a little bit easier every fifth day up in the big leagues moving forward. So somebody that made us breathe particularly easy as far as the defensive successes. We're going to go all the way down to low A Fresno and high A Spokane for our gold glove winner for the Rockies minor league system this year. None other than Ezekiel Tovar of the Grizzlies and the Indians. There you go. Another bowler. I didn't think about this. Do we have to pick up the bowlers and give it to them? I think we could roll them. We could. Roll, we, we, yeah. we thought ahead on this one and we went with some bowlers that we can kind of roll down to. <laughs> So. We're going to get the chisel, we're going to make the little wheel, and then we're going to mm-hmm. paint them purple. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Ezekiel Tovar, he played 104 games this year between low A and high A, and 96 of them were at shortstop. So that alone, I, I must admit, as we were trying to pick our gold glove winner, we figured, you know, this wasn't going to be a comprehensive award show if we didn't have somebody. But it's very tough, you know, without seeing actual visuals of their actual performance, their actual range. You know, some people will argue that fielding percentage is kind of a dated method because that means that you can't go out and make the exceptional plays and you need to play to not make errors as opposed to making great plays. I mean, there's like zone ratings or all these different figures. I mean, let's just call it what it is. You know, the lower ranks of the minors, we don't exactly have UZR available when we're looking at the, at the low. I don't ranks. have outs above average to reference on Ezekiel. <laughs> yeah. So please don't think this is our inefficiencies as hosts. Let's just call it what it is. The data isn't there. It's just, we don't have the data. <laughs> So anyways, but I mean, we did have it. If yeah. you look at all of the reports. Yeah, if you look at all the reports, I mean, this guy's glove is phenomenal. And I think the biggest indicator that we have for Ezekiel Tovar, and I think why he's deserving of this award is there is a lot of competition for that shortstop position, both between Fresno and Spokane, and none of it could beat out Tovar for getting the most reps at shortstop because Tovar was that clearly above everybody else defensively. So that alone really is the justification I think that we came up with for why Tovar is our gold glove award winner and why we have some very high expectations. And it sounds like the organization does of him defensively moving forward as a potential starting shortstop in the big leagues with the way that his glove plays at the position. I think it speaks volumes just to recognize that, you know, he's getting the the managerial benefit of the doubt day in and day out, especially at that young of an age. You know, you're talking about 100 games that shortstop alone. There was there was eight games of his 104 that he wasn't at shortstop this year. So especially when you look at, you know, the toll that it takes on somebody's body. I mean, one of the characteristics of a champion is this is I think Rod Carew made this quote. One of the characteristics of a champion is that he can outlast you. And that's probably the most minor league quote there is by all means, but <laughs> especially recognizing again, we're talking about a lot of young players that might need a little bit more days off. They're still playing just as, as rigorous of a schedule as any other minor league affiliate. You're playing every six days with an off day every Monday. So I think that was something that was very cool, especially looking at the shakeup and especially looking at the successes that were taking place in Fresno and Spokane, both of them making championship runs in their respective divisions. That was something that you really kind of have to look for a defensive anchor that's able to make a whole lot of stuff happen. And the fact that he wasn't shaken around, especially at the younger levels of the minor leagues, when you're trying to find where is somebody going to stick, I think it speaks volumes to recognize that, you know, Ezekiel Tovar, as young as he is, he actually found, he found a landing spot. And not to mention that, but the Rockies have found a way to believe that that is truly the placement that he's supposed to be in. So I think there's a lot of optimism to see there, especially when you look at the other candidates that are making it happen. And, you know, the double plays that he turned, the footage that we do have, it's everything that suggests that he's going to be a strong candidate. And on top of that, he's going to the Arizona Fall League this year. So he's got another 30 games that he's going to be working through. It might not be as intensive necessarily because he's going to probably, there's a couple other shortstop prospects when we're talking about some of the best prospects in the entire world going to the Fall League. But we're going to be able to get another taste of it. We're going to be able to recognize the strengths that he has shown. And the fact that he's even going to be in Phoenix this fall suggests that he's got a lot of, a lot of successes taking place on the defensive side of the ball. That's to mention the offensive as well. I know we can't really touch on offense for gold glove winner, but this is a guy that's been swinging it pretty well also. 
Yeah. I mean, the overall body of work, we talk about Feltner, um, but Tovar put together a very, very impressive season. And the increase with the bat is one thing that has really shot up his, uh, his projectability for the franchise. But the glove was always there. The glove never left this year. And we just got to see it over the course of a full season. And, uh, you know, put together his highest inning total before was 594. And that was in um, the rookie ball ranks in 2019. Well, he blew past that this year by putting up almost 850 innings at shortstop. <laughs> 850 quality innings at shortstop. So it was a real a real test of his abilities and his durability. And he succeeded. And, man, looking forward, this looks like it's going to be a real good ball player for the Rockies. We know it defensively. We're seeing it more and more with the bats. So reasons to be excited and reasons to give him a big old purple rock for his glove <laughs> this year, too. The guy's going to be able to turn a double play with that pebble with the successes he's had on defense this year. <laughs> Anyways, that is our whole, yeah, that is our whole run back pocket the whole time. Yeah, of course. He's going to be, I just not going to weigh him down for a second after all the successes he was showing for us. So anyways, as far as what we're cranking through, we've got co-MVPs once again. Congratulations to Zach Veen and El Huris Montero. Our Cy Young minor league winner, Ryan Feltner, and our gold glove winner is none other than Ezekiel Tovar. So congratulations to those four young men. Very excited to see what the future holds, of course, especially for some of the more marquee players in the Rocky system. And it could be a matter of time before we're seeing them suit up at 20th and Blake and hopefully doing all the good stuff that they've been doing throughout the minor leagues. So with that being said, we are going to take a short break, but stick around as we have additional minor league action for us to talk about, believe it or not. We touched on this a little bit with Ezekiel Tovar, but now we're going to do a full rundown of the Arizona Fall League throwing down in Greater Phoenix through late November. Kenneth and I are here to cover the eight players in the Rockies system that will be suiting it up for 30 more games this year. So don't go anywhere. You are listening to the Purple Row Pebble Report Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pebble Report podcast and welcome to the home stretch of minor league coverage we've got your way. The only remaining games on the Rockies minor league schedule will be taking place in some of the finest spring training venues that exist as the Arizona Fall League is back in action after a one-year hiatus. The league was unable to play last season as a result of COVID-19, but it is now back. We've got eight players in the Rockies system that are suiting it up this fall for the Salt river rafters so anyways the arizona fall league is comprised of six different teams three on the west side of phoenix three on the east side we've got some saucy team names like the scorpions the rafters the solar socks the saguaros the desert dogs and the javelinas there we go i wasn't going to name all six but i just rattled them all off nice so those like six pro. teams i'm impressed with myself man Six teams are going to be throwing down each in a spring training ballpark down in Arizona. And of those six teams, each individual team is made up of prospects from five different MLB organizations. So each MLB team is able to send eight players to the fall league to make up a full 40 man roster. And Kenneth, you've got a little bit of a breakdown for us for what the salt river rafters are working with. So who are the affiliates that we've got? And tell us a little bit about this coveted ballpark. That's second only to Coors field down there in Scottsdale. (laughs) Yep. So as you mentioned, it is the Salt River Rafters. Uh, It's aptly named for the home ballpark of Salt River Fields in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, They're going to be co-hosting with the Arizona Diamondbacks, also part of the Salt River Complex. Uh, But joining the Diamondbacks and the Rockies will be the Brewers, the Mets, and the Tigers this season. So 
affiliates or excuse me, uh, prospects from Brewers, Mets, and Tigers. You're going to get some eyes on along with the guys that it, we see pretty often at Salt River from Arizona and Colorado. I suppose the most marquee name on the Salt River Rafters roster is a young man by the name of Spencer Torkelson, who was the first overall pick in the 2020 draft out of Arizona State University. So making a return to his college hometown, I guess his hometown is in California, but Tempe's not too far from Scottsdale anyway. So that's what they are working with. So it's going to be fun to be able to follow along, just recognizing that there's some serious prospects that are suiting up in this. And as far as the serious prospects that the Rockies are sending out there, all three players that played in the Futures game this summer, and that is Ryan Velotti, Michael Toglia, and Willie McIver. All three of them will be in a Rafters uniform. I say Rafters uniform. They're technically going to be in a Rockies uniform because all of them wear their big league jerseys. They do wear Rafters hats. So Mm -hmm. technically that's an inaccuracy on my part when I say a Rafters uniform because it's going to look like a glorified MLB all-star game when you see all these big league jerseys out there on the field. I like it better that way. Yes, I hear you there. Absolutely. And I think it's pretty cool to be able to the matching hats type of thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's real interesting when you see a team like the Scottsdale Scorpions wearing a red hat, and then you see somebody in a San Francisco Giants cream and orange and black uniform. All yeah, sudden, the, I mean, it, the it color combos could do some work, and the Raptors <laughs> logo kind of looks like a big old toothpaste swab. So yes, that is very true. We got a little Oral B advertisement going on on the Raptors hat, <laughs> not exactly, but unofficially, if you take a look at it. <laughs> Yeah. So anyways, on top of this, we mentioned Ezekiel Tovar as our gold glove winner for the Rocky system. Tovar is going to be heading to the fall league. I know we touched on that a little bit before our commercial break. Then the Rockies are also sending four pitchers to the Arizona fall league. And that is Jake Bird, Matt Dennis, Jordan Sheffield, and Reagan Todd. All four of them are going to be making their way through. Another little side note. This is Reagan Todd is the only left-handed pitcher on the Salt River Rafters roster. So exactly, you know. This is all based on who's going to be sent to the fall league. It's not like you're constructing a particular bullpen. It's not like it really matters, I guess. I think the Astros a couple of years ago pitched in the World Series without a lefty. So anyways, just another fun little side note at that point. <laughs> and then some other logistical businesses. Ezekiel Tovar is 29 days from being the youngest player on the team. So 20 years old. And Jordan Sheffield is almost the oldest on the roster. He is the third oldest at 26. So... Kenneth, I do kind of want to open this up for you as far as, you know, the roster selection. This is kind of a coveted spot of the minor league season to be able to recognize, you know, you have to weed out who are the pitchers that need additional work that are heading down there just almost by default. Who are the players that are trying to separate themselves? There's a lot of categories for why somebody can be sent down here. Typically, it's because they're a very highly touted prospect, but there's a lot that goes under the radar that might contribute to somebody actually suiting up in the fall league. So as far as any surprises that you might've seen or anything that was expected with the roster itself, what do you have on the eight guys that the Rockies are sending this year? Um, I think that there's a, there's a couple of different buckets, as you mentioned. And in terms of the names that we see, most of them are meeting expectations. I think Belade, Togley, and McIver, the trajectory that they were on during the entire course of the year, put them in a deserving position to go to the Arizona Fall League, which is really the best chance to see how they stack up against near MLB-ready competition. Um, So that's the exciting part just in general about the Fall League is you see the guys that are closest and um, what they do against that higher level of competition. 
Um, I think Tovar is, this is a really good indication of just how much he's risen over the course of this season. So if you can see him as a 20 year old, really doing work in the Arizona fall league this year, man, he might be closer than we thought, but for him to even get to this point is super exciting, very deserving. And, you know, we're, we're going to see just how bright his star can shine. Um, Sheffield lost a lot of time this year. This is going to be his second AFL season. Um, so him getting the work is not surprising either. He had a very, very good showing in his first year in Colorado's bullpen. So if he can just kind of maintain that course, stay healthy and show that he's going to be a positive heading into next season, um, that's going to be super exciting. And then bird is Jake bird is, is not too far off on that same conversation. Um, he's been making a case to, to be in consideration for a Colorado pitching spot next season. So I think he'll have a lot to prove in this fall league and his performance uh, can go a long way in kind of setting expectations for what we might get out of Jake Bird next season. Um, but I think the biggest surprise is going to be Reagan Todd. And I think that's a good one for you to cover because you have a lot of information on Todd. <laughs> You know, I hate to say I'm the insider. Reagan Todd, a very good friend of mine, I might add. I mean, I, I shouldn't say like devout friend, but I mean, very much acquaintances from growing up in yeah, Colorado. Did I hear that right? <laughs> Back in the day, man. Anyways, I do want to touch on this. First of all, you talk about Tovar talking about, you know, the way that he's having, giving him the opportunity to do this. I think this is a big indicator to see how close some of these guys truly are in the big leagues, as far as where we're going to see them suiting up moving forward. So that's something that I think definitely to pay mind for the successes and the dominance of these players, what's going to come together for these players. And is this going to their ETA for the big leagues could be largely dependent on how well they play against some of these other top prospects. So that's going to be something very fun to follow. So you do mention, you know, as far as I think the biggest surprise on this is the the lefty himself, Reagan Todd. And I'm excited to follow his story because it seems in many respects growing up, he was never, I shouldn't say never, but he wasn't really the star of where he was even through high school all the way up to where he is now. So he attended Regis Jesuit High School. So for those that are familiar in the Colorado area, Regis is based in South Aurora over by like Parker Road and Arapaho Road. There you go. We're really, really driving it home right there for you people. But anyway, crossing. There you go. I'm that's right. Distance from it right now. <laughs> there it is. This is the neighborhood, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, anyways, Reagan Todd went to Regis High School, and he had a teammate by the name of David Peterson at Regis High School. Who, for you baseball devout followers, you will recognize David Peterson is now a starting pitcher for the New York Mets. So, both of them were teammates. Both of them graduated high school in 2014. Um, I don't really like talking about myself on this show too much because I don't need to bore you guys with my life. However, I happened to attend Legend High School in Parker, Colorado in 2015 was my graduating year. So Reagan Todd and David Peterson are a year younger than I was. So, or I guess a year younger than I am. It's not like our ages have changed. But anyways, we ended up playing Regis, my junior year of high school which was their senior year i did not pitch in this game just it wasn't my turn in the rotation however it played out it was david peterson's turn in the rotation and you know myself an up-and-coming 17 year old at the time i'm watching 18 year old david peterson a lefty with projectable stuff i'm like man i could really like put myself in a position to be seen like there's 25 radar guns behind home plate here to watch this guy play and i'm thinking yeah you know if i put in the work if i keep doing it it's going to be all good 
I found out later that day who David Peterson actually was. Like, I mean, mind you, I should have probably known before, but I didn't want to glorify any high school players in Colorado. No, I wanted to be the best. I didn't need to draw attention to these guys. Well, I found out to draw attention a lot to David Peterson that day, just simply by that was the eye-opening moment. And let's just put it this way. I didn't quite have the radar guns my senior year like I expected. So congratulations to David Peterson for just making my hopes and dreams take a hard left and realize, oh, yeah, that actually is a first-rounder in the making. So anyways, long-winded story to point this out. Reagan Todd was his teammate at Regis. Reagan Todd... I hate to say he was the backup to David Peterson because, you know, you need multiple starters and you need guys to put innings down, but he wasn't the star of that team. And mind you, this is still a player that went to Arizona state out of high school. Like David Peterson was still the number one on Regis' staff. So anyways, following through Reagan Todd actually did redshirt his first year at Arizona state. He played in 2016, was his second year of college as a redshirt freshman, and he put together six starts and 15 appearances. So, you know, pretty solid for his first year in college. He put together 20 appearances and one start in his sophomore year, his third year. And his ERA at Arizona State is in the high sixes. So he wasn't exactly separating himself, and he put his development in his own hands. He transferred to Colorado Mesa for his junior year. And he ended up getting drafted out of Colorado Mesa in the absolute pitcher's paradise of Saplesio field out there, which isn't quite the case. Let's call it hitter friendly. But (laughs) anyways, that was very, that was something, you know, he put together a solid body of work. He's a very projectable type of body. And this is a guy that, you know, the Rockies took a chance on him. I hate to say it was too much of a chance because he was a 32nd rounder. He wasn't all the way at the top. He wasn't extremely touted, but you know, again, he's been resilient enough to work his way out of the 32nd round to where we saw him in triple A this year. So I think this is a huge testament to just the resiliency of this young man and recognizing that, you know, wherever he's been, and I hate to label him as not the star where he's been, but, you know, he was almost playing second rate in high school. Of course, in Arizona State, it didn't really work the way he wanted it to, and that led him to transfer. And then at Colorado Mesa, you're really taking a gamble on yourself going to a Division II school, trying to make something happen from there. So, This is something that I'm very excited to see how this follows along. Very excited to see this young man really get an opportunity to shine again. And, you know, he might not be the most marquee name on the Salt River Rafters roster, but again, I think he's in a familiar position to find a way to separate himself. And I realize we're not doing breakout players to watch for this episode, but I feel like that's definitely a player to take a look on. And this could be a big telling tale for how quickly we might even see him in a big league uniform. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very cool story uh, with Todd, and it just kind of shows the different walks of life that minor league players have to to endure, and he's had one of the longer roads. Um, you look at, like, Valade, Toglia, those are former first-round picks, same with Sheffield. Tovar had the highest signing bonus as an international signing when Reagan Todd has had to kind of scratch and claw every step of the way to get to where he is now. Um, a bit of a deep dig on this one but he reminds me a lot of the story of uh, Matt Pierpont a former Rockies reliever who had a lot of success as well but had to take a very long road uh, to get some recognition um, so Todd is is walking a very similar path hopefully he has a great showing hopefully he can kind of defy the odds a little bit like he's been doing his entire career um, have a good AFL and put himself on the radar for a possible big league spot next season so Super, super cool story. Um, Very interesting that he's on this team, but for the right reasons. So um, 
go do the thing, Greg and Todd. Go do the thing. Keep separating yourself, brother. And I feel like it should be deservedly noted. I mean, I'm not trying to bash him for this. His ERA this year was 4.53 between Albuquerque and Hartford. Now, mind you, this is again after the COVID hiatus of my no minor league ball last year. He peaked at A ball. He, his highest level previously was Asheville in 2019. So, again, you know, talking about a huge disruption to his cycle. But at the same time, we've seen him probably regain a little bit of a cycle, get into a normal routine. And now we're seeing him put together. He's, of course, working as, excuse me, as I'm looking at all these tables, working as a reliever. He put together a little bit over 50 innings this year. So he's still got some presumably left in the tank. I realize it's it's tougher to look at innings totals for relievers than it is starters. But I think this is definitely an opportunity. We'll see that he could at least be in the presence of some of the higher touted Rockies prospects. And I think this is something, you know, to be able to develop the comforts. And one of my favorite parts of the fall league is recognizing players like him they get an opportunity to really gel and get along with some of, I mean, you're going to be suiting it up with Spencer Torkelson, who could be one of like the next, the Miguel Cabrera in the wings potentially. So anyways, we've got a 32nd rounder that's got an opportunity to essentially be locker mates with somebody like that. So at the same time, within the Rockies organization, you develop plenty of relationships. We're going to see this assuming Reagan Todd is either in double A AA or triple A next year. He's probably going to be sharing the similar territory with a guy like Willie MacGyver, and that's somebody that could be catching him here in the fall league. And that could end up being a pitcher catcher combo that we end up seeing in the big leagues later on. So I do want to add this because this is part of the cool part of the fall league. The attendance is, I don't want to call it poor attendance, but they average about like five. It, it's rare for a fall league game to get over a thousand people. Like that's just kind of the way it is. I mean, they start at 1235. A lot of them, they got a lot more night games this year. So it might be a little different, but like you got an opportunity. I remember when I came down here a couple of years ago, I think I saw Kyle Freeland make a start in front of 400 people. And it was <laughs> incredible. It was unbelievable. <laughs> So anyways, with that being said, and I actually do want to mention this. I meant I said earlier, I don't really like talking about my own stories. I'm actually working on the communications team for the fall league this year. Not as I, that's a little humble brag, I guess. But I say this because, you know, if anybody actually is making their way down to Arizona, you know, let me know, like send me a message or something. I'll come say hi. Like we've got to, if you're following this long in the podcast, I'd love to be able to make that happen. And at the same time, you know, just to be able to highlight how cool this league really is. That's why I wanted to get involved. And that's why I definitely want to encourage anybody that gets the chance. You know, you're not going to get many opportunities to see Salt River Fields with less than a thousand people and just free reign to walk around the ballpark as you wish. That's something that's very cool to be able to make this happen. So enough about my own personal stories, of course, not here to talk about that. But anyways, we're going to talk about some of the more unique rules that are going down. And this is some modifications. The Arizona Fall League, it kind of serves as like a testing ground for different. So they were doing it in the Atlantic League too. They it's were there you go. But <laughs> yeah, so some some of the changes that could be incorporated in Major League Baseball um, in the near future are going to be on display in the Fall League. So um, automated strike zones are going to be incorporated at Salt River Field. There's also going to be a 15 second pitch clock. You get a maximum of two pickoffs per plate appearance. So that's going to be one that changes the game, the way the game is played at least quite a bit. Um, the infielders have to remain on the dirt with two on each side of second base. So the shift is kind of being fiddled with um, and the size of the bases will be increased too. So um, some different, you know, things are being played or a different game is being played a little bit. Um, during the AFL, and it's going to be interesting to see how that affects the the gameplay itself. 
I think that the one that intrigues me the most, and this was something that was published on MLB.com talking about the impact that these rule changes could make. And this particular article was touching on the infielders with having to remain on the dirt and two Mm -hmm. of them on each side of second base. You know, if I've got Joey Gallo at the plate and I'm a second baseman, I don't know if I want to be on the dirt at all. Like I'm just thinking, you know, that's kind of a dangerous territory to be in. But anyways, I'm thinking, you know, this has an opportunity to really change the game as far as, you know, they're testing this out. I don't necessarily, I mean, if it, if it works, it has an opportunity to stick, but again, this is a way that we're able to really monitor. This is how it's going to be working and something that infielders have to be mindful for. It might just be second nature. This is where I stand. And now all of a sudden they're really having to throw it off a little bit. So I think the biggest thing to note is just recognizing that infielders have to stay on the dirt at all times when they come set. And at the same time, realizing that, you know, how are umpires going to officiate this type of thing? Like, is there a punishment involved? Like Like throw a flag football style. (laughs) (laughs) They assess an automatic ball or something, or do you start your next at bat with an O one count or something? They just remove one of the infielders from the infield. (laughs) It's like, Nope, you're out. Here we go. Well, that's something box in baseball now, apparently. (laughs) And that was something I also wondered, you know, could you declare that we're just going to put another outfielder in? Like, instead of a second baseman, we're just going to have a fourth outfielder. Like, I mean, if if you option something like, yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, this is just like. I I was just going to change subjects a little bit on it on the the pickoff rule, too. Because that that could really change a lot of things. Because if you burn your two pickoffs during a plate appearance, well, just start running, apparently, because there's nothing they can do to stop you. Like, that's that's a very radical one. Um, Not to say good or bad, necessarily. You and I are pitchers, so I think bad is the personal side (laughs) that we would err on um, on the debate. But that that can have some very large impacts. And obviously, the intent is to increase base stealing within the game make it a higher probability um and thus you know more rewarding a safer bet that teams will will be playing more but it takes away a lot of control from the defense to to handle a running game so that's going to be a really interesting one to see if it, it really swings the pendulum um on how the game is played when there are runners on base sure and i'm very excited to see that myself especially recognizing i believe and I don't know what the exact specifics are, but I've heard, I think Bill James was touching on this, talking about in his historical baseball abstract, if you want to really nerd out on baseball information, he kind of toyed around talking about the pickoffs, if you're able to regulate how many pickoff attempts do people actually get. And the argument that he kind of presented was talking about, you know, let's say if we put a cap on it, like you're only allowed to pick off twice in a plate appearance. If you decide to pick off a third time, it's an automatic ball. And I think that would be something that, you know, you can take the gamble. I think if you really want to speed up the game, every pickoff is an automatic ball. Like that's one way to really just drive some levels home. I think that would be a very interesting provision to put together going, yeah, you threw it and it wasn't a strike. It's a ball. There you go. But anyways, we can talk the philosophical side of this. I understand, you know, no, I am not saying set that in stone. Somebody's listening is probably going to think I'm a clown for even addressing that. But like, Anyways, that's something that I think is very interesting to follow along with and to recognize that, you know, these modifications can have resounding effects. And this is something that, you know, it's going to correlate to a lot of the different aspects of this game. The hope is that it's going to enhance base stealing. It's going to put more guys in scoring position. It's going to really stimulate a run scoring environment. But at the same time, you know, the integrity of baseball is something that 
you know, there's a reason that so little has changed in this game over the course of time. You know, you look at the modifications in other sports and we see how quickly rule changes can be implemented in football, whereas baseball very takes the purest approach in that kind of sense. So anyways, if you're all about the purity of just intimate venue baseball, you're going to love the fall league as a fan. But as far as these unique rules, you might not necessarily love the new changes that are being put into effect. But anyways, the intent is just to get people back to playing baseball originally. And that's something that I've always thought was very cool about potential rule changes. It's not meant to change the game. It's meant to just get the game back to what it's supposed to be. And I don't know if these are the answers. Like, I don't know if two infielders on each side of second and on the dirt is the exact recipe for this, but the fact that something's being tested, I think this is an optimistic sense. I think that it's very gratifying that it's happening in a league like this. But at the same time, these games aren't exactly going to be televised all the time. And we're going to have to get kind of clever to figure out what's the actual result that comes out of this. So this is going to take a lot of analysis on the writers' parts, I believe. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of red tape that, that comes into all of it. And as you mentioned, it's, there's sacrilege that comes with any rule change in baseball. Uh, for good or bad, but when you have to spend three years really debating the merits of increasing the size of the base, you know that there's, <laughs> it's a slow process. So uh, it's, you know, it's going to be interesting. And for people who, you know, love chaos, that there might be some of it this year too. <laughs> so enjoy it for what it is. Some will stick, some won't, but it's going to be a little bit different. There's going to be a, a bit of a curve thrown into the game and Let's to see how it turns out. We get an opportunity to see Ezekiel Tovar on the infield dirt, having to cover even more range than he already has. So I guess for our own sake, we're going to be able to promote some cool details right there. You're right. So some other cool details that I wanted to address before we shut this down. Anyways, some other details about the Salt River Rafters itself. The Rockies will be represented on the coaching staff with Tom Sutaris. So he was the hitting coach for the Hartford Yard Goats, and he held the same position for the Lancaster Jethawks in 2019 former Rockies A-ball affiliate. Um, also on, I guess, the coaching staff for the, the Rafters, athletic trainer Hoshito Mizutani will also be on the staff. He was also in Hartford this year as an athletic trainer. And something that I think is cool, and this is something, Kenneth, I kind of wanted to touch on, you know, how diverse the backgrounds are for the players and the coaches. We mentioned, you know, Reagan Todd has a much different path to the big leagues than a guy like Ezekiel Tovar, for example. But even on the coaching staff, we've got a guy the pitching coach for the Salt River Rafters is Ken Knutson, and he was the former head coach at the University of Washington for a long time, like dating back to the Tim Lincecum era, University of Washington. So he was the pitching coach at Arizona State for quite some time. His latest duties, he's at the Mets Spring Training Complex in Florida, but he also operates the Arizona Pitching Arsenal, a whole developmental system here in Phoenix, and he'll make his way back to the Phoenix Valley to be able to make that happen. So as far as just the different backgrounds that are being thrown together. You have a lot of coaches that are kind of the young and up and comers that are really trying to separate themselves. You've got a guy that's been around this game for a long time with a guy like Ken Knutson as well. And you've got a player like Jordan Sheffield that's being thrown in, being able to get his extra work in at the age of 26. You've got 20 year old Tovar suiting it up as well. So as far as just, it's like a sheer melting pot of mm -hmm. different levels and especially recognizing, you know, yourself, you know, being a baseball, I guess it's safe to say a baseball lifer yourself, as I would identify also, but, you know, your familiarities with different clubhouses and throwing guys together, especially at the end of the season where some guys might be a little bit burnt out, but there's a new degree of enthusiasm. So as far as what you've experienced, you know, the different teams that you've played on, the different atmospheres that you've been used to, 
is it almost an advantage to kind of be thrown together to suit up and that's a new way to really just build yourself up or is it the kind of thing you know how does this really play out at the end of the season and when you look at you know the end of November is when this season's rolling through kind of can you touch on the optimism or how you see the people really fighting themselves through the remainder of this schedule I think I mean it, it probably is a second win for a lot of these guys um for somebody like Sheffield it might be a little bit less because he's already been through the fall league once before <laughs> he already had big league experience this year um but you know, it it's going to just depend on the individual on both the player and the coaching side, because this is an opportunity for players to shine and show what they can do against a higher level of competition. But this is also, you know, these, this is where those major league coaching staffs come from. They have to earn their stripes a little bit and guys getting rewarded as being part of Arizona fall league staffs are one of the steps in the process for a lot of these guys. Um, so different walks of life, as you talk about another benefit from this though, is man, maybe one of these guys is the one who teaches something or, you know, put something the right way for one of these players that makes it click for them. Um, so I look at it as a positive. I think that you can have a different set of eyes that can have a different approach that can really take off for some of these guys. And you know what, if it doesn't necessarily work for them, it's over the course of a month too. So we're not having an entire season of lost time either. Um, so it's, it, it's a, it's a melting pot, as you said, and it's maybe going to be something that can be super beneficial for some of these guys for other guys, maybe like Sheffield, this could just be, you know, this is the process to finish out the year, round it out strong and healthy, and then move on to 2022. So it's, it's all part of the excitement of the Arizona fall league, man, you throw it all together and you see what comes out at the end. I think that is a spot on analysis and a good comparison that I kind of like to put together for this. If you look at like college summer ball, you get a bunch of different players from a lot of different backgrounds, just kind of getting thrown together and they're able to share different philosophies. They're able to share different developmental strategies and they're able to carry it forward into the rest of their career, not only as players, but as people seeing how it's able to follow along. So very exciting details to be able to make it happen. Very exciting for our like the fans that just love watching baseball as well, because, you know, seriously, we're going to have a championship game this Saturday before Thanksgiving, and that's going to be televised too. So seriously, we've got a little bit more live action coming your way, and hopefully we'll see a couple of Rockies players throwing down in that final contest. And with that being said, our unofficial final podcast of the Pebble Report podcast has come to an end. I feel sad, man. We're going to have to do an off-season one here, because, I mean, I like doing this way too much, man. Yeah, I mean, we can't just be on hiatus for <laughs> four months not talking about baseball. That's just not the world that we exist in. So Just an indefinite. We'll see what we're able to piece together. We might have to do a little conjunction with our counterparts over on the Affected by Altitude podcast. But mm-hmm. while we're mentioning them, you know, give a big shout out to Mac Wilcox, Evan Lang, Skylar Timmons. They'll continue to put together some offseason coverage we fully anticipate as the big league headlines will probably be let's call it what it is a little bit more substantial than the minor league headlines throughout the hot stove off season at this point in time. But anyways, we'll have plenty of insights coming that way. And on top of this, you know, we've got our full ranking the Rocky series going on on purple row right now. And of course, in addition to all of our following content, we should be definitely putting together some solid stuff for you guys to check out. And we are beyond excited to continue to put together just the finest in Rockies coverage that we possibly can. We want to send another shout out to our colleagues at purple row, all of SB Nation and all of the media representatives throughout our minor league affiliate cities that have helped us out along the way. And as we reminisce on this full season of minor league coverage, there's nobody else that we would like to thank more than all of you listeners for tuning in. 
big tip of the cap for you guys for putting your best foot forward on our comments section, following us on Twitter, giving us all the love that we need to keep bringing our best every single podcast. And on behalf of Kenneth Weber, I am Justin Wick. Thank you guys for tuning in. You have been listening to the Purple Row Pebble Report podcast, and let's play ball.